As I stated last Lord's Day, this section that we're looking at now in Mark is going to be a section in which I'm going to do three messages. We've had one already, and today our focus is going to be upon the middle in verses 42 through 44 uh, this, this morning. And then next Lord's Day is going to be a focus on just the one important verse here in Mark's Gospel of verse 45 alone. So as you turn to Mark's Gospel, please, to verse chapter 10, we will read that whole section once again, verses 35 through 45, listening carefully to God's word. Remember what the Bible says, God says. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one on the right hand and one on the left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with, with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism that, with which you, I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand or on my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we we ask for insight from the Lord Jesus Christ concerning what it means to be a servant in your kingdom in contrast to those who rule. We ask, O oh God, that you would give to us continual insight with respect to the church, with respect to its designation that thou hast ordained and the path that you have ordained for the church in its ministry here on earth and how we as Christians are to function as believers on this journey. We ask your guidance, direction, and conviction in Christ's name. Amen. Whose authority and lordship 
Do you want to rule over you? Christ has just finished a pointed discussion with James and John concerning their interest of being on his right hand and on his left hand in glory. Although James and John are ignorant as to what this would actually look like, they covet those positions. As Christ stated, it is not his to give. Meanwhile, the ten other disciples respond to James and John in anger to their own selfish ambitions that they may have. After their bickering with one another, Jesus called all the disciples together there in verse 42 of our text. Jesus proceeds as if John, James and John's discussion is still on their mind. And Jesus needs to address the position that he will secure as king and lord who will be shrouded, shrouded with the glory of God. The disciples seem focused still upon an earthly liberation, an earthly liberation of the Jews from the presence of of Roman occupations, and possibly that Jesus will provide this new Jewish leadership. Unlike Mark's narrative from chapter 1, verse 14, through chapter 8, verse 26, which was dominated by Christ's attributes of authority and power, the present section, beginning in 827, has accented little of Jesus' attributes of authority and power in his journey to Jerusalem. But now, but now, in the context of the vague understanding of James and John possess about Christ's coming glory, Jesus decides to raise the subject of authority before his disciples. Those whom he has called as his future apostles who will go into the Gentile world with the gospel that has Gentile rulers. Since Jesus' honored position of royal glory is on the table, Jesus decides to declare to his disciples the nature of his honored position of authority. It is quite a contrast. It is quite a contrast to how the disciples think as well as how the world thinks about those who rule kingdoms and nations. Christ's language is strongly descriptive here in our text about the rulers in the Gentile world, a world that Mark, as he writes this gospel, is seeing firsthand. The Greek words for the text in the text convey that the rulers are lordly, are, excuse me, yes, lordly tyrants who love exercising their oppressive power and excessive authority over their subjects or their citizens. Christ is not setting up his discussion here with those who govern for the sake of the common good. 
Rather, he is presenting the collection of Gentile rulers as tyrants. As he warned the disciples to be watchful of the leaven of Herod. Back in chapter 8, verse 15. At this point, it is important for us to recall the tyrannical act of a Gentile ruler, Herod Antipas, and his beheading of John the Baptist. Do you recall what follows immediately after the beheading of John? If you do not, you want to go back and take a peek at chapter 6, verse 30. Chapter 6, verse 30, which immediately follows the beheading of John. Mark mentions that the apostles returned to Jesus to report about what they had done and taught under the authority as he, under his authority, as he sent them out two by two as a preview of their apostolic ministry. In this context, Jesus says absolutely nothing, nothing about the the tyrannical act of Herod beheading John. Rather, he speaks of the disciples' evangelistic message that they exercise, and he takes them away on a boat. They eventually come ashore with a great crowd gathers, and Mark states that Jesus had great compassion upon them because they were like sheep, without a shepherd, chapter 6, verse 34. This is followed with the exhibition of Christ's authority and power, the feeding of the 5,000. Are you seeing what is happening here? Are you grasping this? Jesus is not providing a lesson about political corruption. He does not lead an insurrection or a revolution to establish his reign on earth against Herod and Rome for the injustice that just has occurred to that great last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist. No, the issue is Christ's ministry to sheep without a shepherd, his compassion upon aching hearts, the presentation of the good news of repentance and faith. Specifically, focus your hearts upon the presentation, the action of the shepherd here in the gospel, the shepherd to lost sheep who hunger for the bread of life to sustain and nourish their barren souls. And John the Baptist, we can now look back from where we are stand, where we presently stand in our text in chapter 10 with Christ's presentation about the road up to Jerusalem that John, as the last Old Testament prophet, actually lived. He actually lived the path that Christ was describing here in chapter 10 of persecution and suffering. His head was cast off his body and he 
entered into the age to come, eternal life, resurrection, and exaltation. Well, with Christ's activity immediately following John's beheading fresh on our mind, let's return to the context of Jesus telling the disciples to look out for the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod in chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. The context is that the disciples and Jesus are on a boat and just have one loaf, just one loaf of bread. After Jesus has just fed the 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish, how is Jesus and the disciples going to be filled with just one loaf of bread? Considering what Jesus had done with the 5,000, what he had just done with the 4,000 before the disciples' eyes, Jesus makes this remark to his disciples. Why are you disgusted? The fact that you have no bread. Do you not yet perceive and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Chapter 8, verse 17. How about us? How about us before Christ here this morning? Are you getting what the Holy Spirit is teaching? Is teaching each of us in the life of our Savior through Mark's gospel? Is it sinking into your minds and hearts, or are you also hardened? Are we grasping the authority and the power of Christ after he warns us about the leaven of these tyrannical leaders? Are we grasping the mission of the gospel and the identity of Christ? To repeat, did Christ not feed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish? Did Christ not feed the 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish? So, if you have seen this, why on earth would you panic with just having one loaf? Jesus hits them hard. They do not have eyes to see, ears to hear, and their memories, their memories, refuses to recall the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. The kingdom of God in the ministry of Christ and the great shepherd of his sheep is to feed his people with himself, with himself, the eternal word, the bread of life in which the sword of Herod and his leaven has no answer has no answer. John's head may be on a platter, but his soul was immediately glorified because the God of heaven, because the God of heaven where no earthly sword can penetrate. That's where John's is in terms of his soul. 
the hands and arms of our shepherd by his Holy Spirit provides everyone who repents of their sin and believes in their heart the good news to move from the state of persecution and suffering to the age to come eternal life. And let me just remark at this point, you may feel that is not you, but you see the identity, you have the identity of union with Christ, you have the identity of suffering. That's your identity. Your identity in this world is persecution even if you think you're not feeling it. That's who you are. Now, for those who receive and are fed the bread of life by the bread of life, you will never experience eternal hunger. We are not talking about earthly hunger. We are talking about the spiritual union of the, with the exalted Christ who enriches and satisfies the depths of your hunger, your hungry soul, each and every day. Is not that your soul as a believer? Each and every day, aren't you hungry for Christ in your life? Let me put it straight. Christ is telling the disciples, soon to be apostles, that the gospel is going to coexist with tyrannical rulers in the world all the way till his second coming. In this world, there is always the wheat and the tares. That is a fact of life, a fact of God's providence. The ministry and the life of the church does not draw an iron sword, an iron sword against such tyranny. Like John the Baptist and like Christ himself, the church can, can demand repentance from evil and call all rulers in the world to Jesus Christ. But we do not draw the earthly sword. The sword of the church is the word of God. Listen to this description. Listen to this description clearly right now from the very scripture and see if any earthly sword has anything to compare with this. Think about this seriously. The word, the sword of the church is the word of God which is living active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. This point in the book of Hebrews is on every page 
And in every word that comes across from Christ in Mark's gospel, we can even put it this way. Hebrews 4.12 is a commentary on the entire book of Mark. Think about that this week. Think about that. Nowhere in Mark does he record from the mouth of Christ that the church and the believer is to take up your soul against governmental tyranny. Rather, Christ is very clear. Take up your cross, believer. Take up your cross and follow me. All the tyrannical rulers will die on earth only to find themselves in front of the ruler and judge of the universe where justice, justice will be served for all their evil acts against humanity. Now, in chapter 10, verse 42 of our text, it is clear. Jesus tells us how governments in the world function. Their rulers love power. We see it all around us. They love authority. They love lording it over people. This is how the depravity of man operates under the imputation under the imputation of original sin. It does not take a genius to see when studying history that when rulers invade to liberate and oppress people, that those who now gain authority become the tyrants themselves. The German philosopher Immanuel Kant saw this point and warned Europe that its people must be careful about those who bring revolutions to liberate oppressive monarchs because when they achieve power through a successful revolution, they will become the oppressors, the tyrants over the people. Kant would see his, his point clearly in his own day, enacted after the French Revolution, when the liberators brought the guillotine to take the lives of those who supported the monarch. More important, Jesus presents the Gentiles, the Gentile leaders who rule throughout the nations in the same manner. Now, are we listening to Jesus' words? Are you allowing, are you allowing Christ's words to teach your own heart? And are you going to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Jesus Christ? Or will you close your ears and place your hope upon your own earthly agenda, specifically in this country, perhaps your hope right now is in the election of 2024. 
Christ places us in the strictest contrast between the power and authority and lordship of earthly rulers throughout the world and the leadership of his church. Speaking very directly to his disciples, Christ makes an absolute statement, an absolute statement. Look at the text in verse 30, 43, in strict contrast to these tyrannical rulers, it shall not be so among you. Jesus is not saying possibly it will not be among you. Or do your best to not let this be among you. He is speaking here in serious terms, in prophetic terms about how the apostle will use their power and authority and lordship as under shepherds in his church. In fact, Christ does not use those terms right here, those terms of power and authority, etc. Here, although their clear implication will be found throughout Paul's letters and the pastoral epistles, the ordained officers have authority given by Christ to sustain the purity of Christ's church in doctrine and in life. We can put it this way in terms of Christ's absolute statement. It shall not be among you. Christ is speaking here to the apostles about the true invisible church as she functions faithfully by the Holy Spirit. These disciples, soon to be apostles, will definitely be taken into their apostolic office with this promise from Christ applied by his spirit. Are you ready to hear the true and faithful church of Christ is the absolute opposite of being a tyrant and oppressor of their fellow image bearers of God. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. Verses 43 and 44. This theme Christ has hammered again and again to his disciples and they continue to resist it. Instead, they argue about who's the greatest. James and John's request prestigious positions in Christ's glory. So Christ is essentially saying, let's try one more time to drive home this point. Let's see if it's registering yet. You want to claim to be the greatest? You want to claim to be first? You want to be on the right hand and the left hand of Christ? Well, you better hear Christ correctly 
the only true life of a disciple and a follower of Christ, the only true life of an apostle in Christ's church, the only true life of an ordained officer in Christ's church, the only true life of living by true faith in Christ's church is to be a servant of Christ to others. To view yourself, what does Jesus say? As a slave. Yes, yes, congregation. Christ uses the Greek term here for one viewing oneself being owned by a master. We can definitely understand this with respect to Christ being our master, but are we willing to view ourselves as a slave who is owned by our fellow believer as our master? Does Christ have your attention, congregation? Or are you such a product of our day where the term, even as it appears in scripture today, is only known as an offensive term? Are you declaring to Jesus, I am not in a slave master relationship with anyone, not even you, Jesus. Not even you. Congregation, Christ has absolutely nothing in mind with the slave-master relationship that incorporates the history of modern Western civilization, including our nation, which supported the tyrannical and oppressive rule over other human beings, suppressing the dignity of the image of God. Christ is speaking here exclusively about the ethic of discipleship. The ethic of discipleship. At the heart of his discussion is his simple gospel moral action. Deny yourself in order to serve Christ and others. Deny yourself in order to take the lowly position of a slave to Christ and others as your master. Officers in Christ, as well as the flock of Christ in Christ, must live in this way. Paul gives us a great understanding, commentary, on this text, if you would allow it to penetrate your heart, coming from that famous chapter about Christ as a servant to us, Philippians 2. Listen to what Paul says. Here's the application of exactly these words. What does Paul say in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4? Do nothing, Christian. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, here it is, in humility, 
value others above yourself. That's the slave-master relationship that Jesus is talking about concerning the life of the church. Consider in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking, verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Is that your heart? Is that your heart to each other in this congregation? If you are not being convicted this morning by Christ's words here in our text, it is because your heart is stuck on your own prideful self. And if this is so, if this describes you, I ask you, what are you going to do about it? May I make a suggestion? May I make a suggestion? Pray that the Holy Spirit will powerfully make your heart abandon self and embrace the pattern of Christ as servant and slave in you for your sake so that you in turn can be a servant and a slave to one another in Christ so that the body of Christ is so living because we do love one another in this congregation. Let it be seen through the power of the Holy Spirit in the words of Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we would ask that we don't have our eyes and our hearts being given to so much attention to what is out there in governments of the world. In terms of of what thou hast taught us even in this passage. We understand the truth about them. We ask, O Lord, that we would turn our attention as Christ is asking us to the church, to ourselves. Where are we? And help us not to forget the words of the word of God, that judgment begins with the house of the Lord. Let us in humility bow before thee and help us in our lives to be faithful servants to the Lord Jesus Christ and to one another. For Christ has given to us the path on which our lives are based. By thy spirit, enable us 
faithfully to enter that path. In Christ's name, amen.